Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Future of Space. I'm your host, Daniel Fox. Our guest today is Patty Stoll. She is the president, Space Systems at LLC Dover. The company has been making spacesuits for NASA, uh, NASA since Apollo. So, Patty, welcome to the Future of Space. Thank you for having me, Daniel. I appreciate it. So, where are you right now? You're in Houston, I believe, correct? We're in Houston, Texas. We uh, are right across the street from Johnson Space Center, a really good location for us since most of our astronaut corps is across the street. Um, so if we have any suit issues, we can be there as quickly as possible. So we really like to be co-located with NASA. You've been there for quite some time, you yourself, or? I have been in Houston all of my career. Um, once I got out of the Marine Corps, I started with Lockheed and then uh, ILC Dover quickly after that. So I've been here for my entire corporate career. How has been the mood in Houston in the last, I would say, two, three years with this kind of excitement building up in the space um, where space used to be on the fringes, now it's really at the center of our daily lives. There must be some kind of excitement going on in Houston uh, on a daily basis. Well, I mean, I can speak from experience because I have been with the space program for a very long time. Even when I was with Lockheed for a few years, we I tested the astronauts in their spacesuits. And then with ILC Dover, so I feel like for a long time, we've been planting these seeds, you know, hoping really something's going to come out of it. And I think the surprising part is really, I would say in the last couple years, is the excitement for commercial space and seeing other companies go into space. Just it opens up the, the opportunities, not just for your normal space companies, but for private citizens as well, which makes it so much more exciting, sort of gives me the goosebumps, maybe because I'm passionate about it and I've been in it. So it's really exciting for me. I, I think where I am in my career, you know, as the president of this division, and I've worked my way through the ranks. Um, so I have been, you know, I, my first project as a project engineer was certifying a sports bra for the women, female astronauts to wear in the spacesuit. So I started with, you know, a project like that. And now, you know, kind of seeing that, that progression of that contract, which we're still a part of, we build the spacesuits for NASA. It's just, it's a very exciting time. I see a lot of folks coming into the Houston area and a lot of the space companies coming into the Houston area as well into the spaceport. So it's very, very exciting. Now, before we get back into the work that you're doing at Alice Dover and some, I mean, now you just said that um, developing bras for female astronauts, but obviously we don't think about, you know, these little things that we take for granted. And I know that Dan was saying that like gloves are uh, custom made for each astronaut. So I assume that, um, it is the same for the bra for female, or maybe not, but we'll come back for that. I want to okay. know from you, what is three words that capture or represent space for you? Yeah, for me, the first one is breathtaking. And I was sort of going between awe-inspiring and breathtaking. Now, clearly, I have never been to space but what I have appreciated about those that have had like the honor and privilege of going into space, for example, Nicole Stott, who you've interviewed and her new book, Back to Earth, is that, you know, they go to space and they're able to either write books, take pictures, create art. Here's a little piece, a pendant, you know, she gifted me with from, you know, the looking at 
earth, you know, from space. And, and then they bring a little bit back. And in those, you get to dream. And, and it's just, it is very breathtaking. Any chance you get to see earth from that perspective, every single photo, and there's so many out there. And so I do appreciate people who have the privilege to go there to come back and bring that. And I think, you know, if you, if you listen to Nicole Stott talk about, you know, humans being earthlings on spaceship earth, it really puts it into perspective, especially, you know, now in the time that we are, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of with war happening, you know, sort of internationally overseas, it just, you know, it, it makes you remember that we're all humans, right? And we're all in this together. So for me first, it's it's just that it's just breathtaking. And and, and when I used to support the, the space suit, the EVAs that we would do, and I would be in the back room, you would see an astronaut who was just going out of the International Space Station out of the airlock for the very first time, and their little heart rate would just spike, right? And you could see veteran astronauts who had been out a few times. It was just like another day, another walk in the park. So clearly there's that factor of, oh my gosh, you know, really realizing where you are, even though you know you're safe and your little heart rate starts to go up. So it's just really breathtaking. And I think taking that all in even from Earth, never being in space, it's just, it's something that, you know, like I said, gives you the goosebumps. And then your second word. That's the first one. The first one. My That's second word, one. right. My second word would be boundless. And, and sort of when I was thinking about that is when we think about being on Earth, it feels like you're limited to land, right? And I think the exciting part about space is it's boundless. Like, we know, we know sort of what we know about space. I always think of what don't we know about space? And until we get out there and, and really experience it and really start to live and work in space, I think you'll, we get the point that, you know, we talk about the moon and we talk about going to Mars, but what else can we go to so as humankind, as mankind, once we get out there? So the second one would be boundless. And, and the third one you know, is opportunity. And that kind of seems weird, like opportunity and, oh, maybe you're a president of a company. So it's like, definitely, you know, there's, there's a chance to make money. But when I, that, the opportunity I'm really talking about here is the opportunity, I would say, for inventions, new products. Um, I would say even medication or pharmaceuticals that can help life here on earth or even life in space. I always tell our, our board of directors, there's, I think there's products and things we don't even know about because we just haven't lived and worked in space. We don't, I mean, we have, but not sort of on a mass scale with what folks are looking at. You know, once we start getting new commercial space stations and low earth orbit and we're back on the moon where, or, you know, Elon Musk wants to colonize Mars. I mean, what are the products that we're going to need? So when I think of opportunity, yes, I think everybody first will go to making that money, but really it's bigger than that. It's how do you, how do you improve life? And maybe it's not just life here on earth. It may, how do you improve life in space one day? It's that new blank canvas, really, you know, we've been on really earth, for so, you know, for a long time. And I can't imagine it was the same thing when someone was confined to an Island and then they're on the beach and then finally they got to build the, the little vessel that's going to give them the possibility, the opportunity to go and explore. So, they go out and this is just a land of new opportunity because you get to discover it and create it. And then it gives you the, the, the chance to create new innovations that will keep you pushing forward. So obviously going to space, I mean, it's all, always hard to invent the future because it just, we don't know how it's going to be. We don't, like, we don't know, like 50 years ago, a hundred years ago, someone would have, you know, given an idea of the future, they would have never come up with an iPhone with an internet 
that gives you the capacity to bank oversee, you know, all that kind yes. of the little things. Now, we know you work with a company that obviously does a lot of technical and science into it. But what is for you the human story of going to space? What is what what rallies everyone into that story of going to space? Yeah, and I and when I, I think about that, I, I think about even you know I've got twins, you know, sixteen year old twins who are going through modern ancient history and modern history and U.S. history, and, and when I think about all that, it's just this human desire to explore, right? And even natural resources, what's out there. And I think this now it, we are, we're giving humans better access to space. It looks safer. We're having more people going there. And I think it's just in our human nature to explore and expand. And I think, you know, since space is so, so it's becoming more real now, like, okay, really, I can go there. Even with, you know, you, you look at Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin taking people to space and it's like, okay, I can go there. And it's really like, Lim as far as like, there's no age limit, right? You've got William Shatner going to space. You've got, you know, young people going to space. So it's, it's you know, it, it's this whole equal opportunity to go to space and, and just wanting to go and explore. So I think that's, that's really the, the biggest part of it. You know, when I, when I did a little research on, you know, what's the ticket to go to space? Well, what's Blue Origin or, or Virgin Galactic? And I think it was maybe, what is it like 350, you know, thousand to, to half a million I, I had read that in 2030, it could be only $3,000 to go to space. So do I want to go to space at a half a million? No. But do I want to go to space at 3,000? Yeah, I might do that for my birthday or for Christmas. <laughs> so I think it's, you know, making it accessible. And, and then, you know, hey, we want to go there. Let's try it out, right? And you can be 100 years old or you can be 20. It's the natural journey of these innovations, you know, cars when they came out it was just you know the rich and famous of fifth avenues who would you know when everybody right. was on horses they would come <laughs> with the little 4t you know because it was it was not everybody could afford it same thing with cell phones same, same thing with so many mm -hmm. i mean even even credit people don't don't realize that credit where we have these credit cards the access to capital before it was only reserved to the people who actually had capital. But at one point that innovation kind of became more accessible and now everybody goes around with a credit card and can do so much more. So it is, it will be the same going to space. Obviously at the beginning, it's only the big governments. The, the, the process is usually big governments, big entities. Then right. there's, there's a certain, the big people who have the funds and then, and then it continues and then you, you reach this mass marketplace where suddenly, and obviously the rockets landing upright was a big turning point for this. And, you know, more and more the technology, the computers, the same thing, the chips getting smaller. Mm -hmm. yes. Now talking about technology, I haven't forgotten what you'd said earlier. I want to go back to that. You experienced space from a woman's perspective than you were also uh, connected with, with that reality and you were designing bras for female astronaut. Is it the same, like, does it need to be customized? Like how different the technology needs to be approached for when you go to space? Yeah. And so really what we certified was just an off the shelf sports bra, right? And so small, medium, large, extra large. 
But the main thing that you're concerned about with introducing something new in the spacesuit is how is it going to react to the pure O2 environment, right? So we look at the materials and we ensure that everything that's going in there is O2 compatible. And that was the main thing. But yes, it was a lot. It was a huge surprise because I know women, they're wearing bras up in space, but those bras aren't certified. So it's really something that you have to look at. Now, of course, you know, we give them an option. Um, you know, are they using it in space? I hope so, right? But, um, and, and every woman likes their sports ball. It was the same thing with, you know, um, with jock straps. I mean, they certified a jock strap for men. So it's like, okay, well, the women need sort of the sa- the sports bra for the same reason the men do, but it did take a long time. You know, it was like even hair ties. If you want to put your hair in a ponytail, that has to be certified too. An engineer actually took it through a certification process. So yes, it, you, you're not doing a custom because, Hey, the small, medium, large, extra large, let's just, you know, find something that works as sports bra. And, and then maybe if you have a special sports bra you like, then we can look at that as well. But yeah, from that standpoint, we definitely try to use, uh, what's off the shelf. Now, there's some things that do have to be customized, and you had mentioned the gloves. And we don't do a special glove for every single crew member. We have right now about 65 to 69 sizes of gloves. But every couple, every year, about we do maybe two custom um, gloves, depending on if we can't get a crew member in a right size. But there's a whole chart on it, and we try to fit them in the sizes we have. But NASA does allow for custom, about two custom gloves a year. You mentioned the reaction to oxygen, pure O2. Like, what what does it do? Like, for the general public, I mean, even for myself, like, I would have not expected that this was a concern. What happened to fabric when it's in an O2, like a, a highly concentrated O2 environment? Yeah, I mean, de- it definitely is depending on which, ma- which material you're introducing. You know, it could spark, right? And, and what I was concerned about when we were talking about bras was a lot of the just regular bras that women buy have an underwire, right? So how does that wire also, do we want a wire? And so no, in sports bras, we just went pure fabric. So you're looking at, is it, you know, wire? Is, is there something that could trigger a fire in the suit? So you're really looking at those things and it's very material specific. And so there's a lot of materials that we have in a database out there that are O2 compatible, but you're really trying to keep the crew member and the astronaut safe. I guess it's, it's one of the, like, even if we get the biggest computers getting more powerful and our testing system are getting better and better and better, what is always so important in testing in real is to discover the unknown. I mean, you can have the best models, but your best model is always constructed on the known. But when you, when you go into space and when you go into the unknown, what is really important is like, well, we have to, we have to fail. We have to figure out how this is going to fail before it fails, you know, out there. And at Odyssey Dover, I assume it is a big part of the process to keep experimenting, to figure yes. out what, you know, the, the unknown before, before your the astronauts will, you know, will find it in a hard way, you know, up in space, correct? Yes, I mean, we take all of our spacesuits, our, our EVA spacesuits, our launch and entry abort suits through a very rigorous certification process. But even after we have, I would say, tested it to where you're actually, maybe you're going to go and manufacture what is going to be your flight hardware, you're going to take that, those suits through a lot of testing with the crew members, either test subjects or the crew that are actually going to wear it. And in a lot of cases, you know, we've had veteran crew members who've done multiple spacewalks. They've been in pretty much every EVA suit out there, 
PVA and LEA. So if you can get them in your suit, have them, you know, play around with it a little bit. And that's what we did with our commercial suits, uh, Soul and Astro. It's that human element too. So you can take that suit to failure on a system, on a rig or a test rig. But when you actually get a human in the loop, that just adds something else because someone can pull a zipper differently or someone say, you know, who's female, maybe needs more leverage. She's going to hold on to something and pull something. It's like, okay, we didn't think there was going to be loads going across this way. We just thought it was going to be done this way. And as an engineer, we do it the nice right way just to make sure, you know, like this is how you do it, but everybody's going to do it different. And, and really, if you're in an environment where it's stressful or maybe you've got to get into something or out of something fast, you know, there's a lot of things that's, that go in there. So Definitely, we, we, you know, take it through a regular rigorous testing process, but then we want to get a person, a test subject, but really veteran crew members in the loop so we can, they can get in the seat, they can see how it's supposed to work. And really, you're not going to get everything right because, you know, even with the spacesuit today, we still, there's still issues that happen, you know, when they're doing their spacewalks, but trying to get all of those things so we don't have an incapacitated or, or lose life, right? That's what I always love having conversations with the engineer because they have a very linear way of like a clean, you know, things happen within like almost a vacuum and it's one plus one. But nature is messy. Life is messy. And you yes. want systems that are not, they're resilient. They have enough tension to sustain themselves and to stand upright. But it also there's room, you know, to move because you always have the unexpected. I remember some years ago, my brother was a uh, furniture designer and he, like, he told me how when you design furniture, you have to remember that the, the wood is gonna move depending, yeah. depending on the, the level of humidity. And you can build something on one continent that's gonna be super, super nice. And then you ship it overseas and then it don't, like, it's all worked and it's, and, and it's not opening properly. So understanding, obviously, that when you go to space, there's going to be this unexpected and again, the unknown, and you need to have a suit that's going to be able to, that has that room to be resilient, correct? That, I mean, that's... Oh, I think it's the most important thing, because the way I characterize it is the the products that we provide, whether it's a space suit or a space uh, uh, inflatable habitat, you almost want to to be like, it's not even there, right? You, you know, we try to make them as conformal as we can so that you can do your job and not have to even think about the suit. Now in an EVA space suit, it, it's a little bit harder. LEA is a little bit easier, but still you, you want to have it to, to feel like, Hey, it's just a coverall and I can do what I can live or I can work or whatever it is I need to do. But you're right. Even building furniture, you, you know, did you, did you think, did you have like a couple kids jump on the furniture, you know, or someone just, you know, jump? No. And so it does, it, it wears on the wood or, you know, so it's the same thing, but, but you want to have a couch, but you don't always want to know, okay, you know, like I, I have to, here's the couch and it's like, let me just sit down on the couch, you know? And it's like, okay, that's great until it doesn't work. And you're like, yeah, this isn't a good couch. Let's change it. <laughs> Now, Elsie did the spacesuits for Apollo. Back then, it was, um, I would say, kind of focused on the men perspective of going to space and how to approach the systems. Now, Elsie is also doing the, the spacesuits for Artemis. You're working with Nicole Stott. Artemis is extremely, um, I would say, from a woman's perspective, the, it's more the, a different uh, vision. What are the benefits? I mean, in, in nature, diversity is an important tool for being resilient. The more 
the more like not having your eggs in the same basket allows you to become more resilient. Now you've been in the space industry for, for a long time. Now you're working with Nicole Stott um, for the uh, developing these spacesuits. You're going to be an Artemis. How, what are some, some of the benefits or the, the, the discoveries that happen in the process now that there's more different perspective to it? Yeah, I mean, and so I've been like, I've just focused on our commercial EVA spacesuit, extravehicular activity spacesuit. I, I use a lot of acronyms and I don't mean to, but you know, that that's sort of like the main suit that you see when we do spacewalks. So we have a commercial spacesuit. So I'll focus on that one. What I love about the one that we have designed and, and manufacturing now is it allows for modularity, right? So you can get the fifth to 95th percentile of like male and female into about three suit sizes. And what we've done is, you know, we, we have a special um, design on our upper torso that allows us to move it in and out. Um, that is always the main thing is how can you get all sizes of people in this suit. And so as a female, of course, they like myself and Nicole, cause we're about the same build. Um, but we've gotten, you know, very short women in there, you know, we've gotten Sonny Williams in there. So, you know, it's, it's really, um, more about making the suit modular so that you can allow for the diversity of whether it's male or female. And, and if you probably remember years ago when they wanted to send two females outstation, it was like, Oh, we only have one medium suit, you know? So that wasn't very, good but with the but what we've done with our astro suit is it allows you okay so you want to send two medium people out the door male or female well you can adjust those and we've done it to make it adjustable without any tools so it's it's how do you make it easier to adjust and how do you make it modular for more people because as we go into space you know it costs a lot of money to take hardware into space and so if you can reduce that cost by allowing more people to fit and say you know a certain number of suits that you have it really just opens it up for everyone. And that's what's sort of the nice thing about our EVA spacesuit is that it's modular and it can fit men and women. And you could adjust it on orbit, not say, I just have a medium or I just have a large. It's, I have a suit, I can make it medium to extra large. And the, so in part of the, for some of the people who don't know, when you go as a pilot, part of the, the, the essential reality that you don't see is the pressure, you know, the pilot have, the, their suit that can compensate for the, the amount of G's and, and the pressure. When you go to space, what is some of the unseen that we, that we don't know that is really necessary for an astronaut to survive in outer space um, or an environment, you know, with zero, um, zero gravity? Okay, good question. I mean, I, I, I know how we design them, right? So of course, Nicole Stott and the other ones, Scott Parensinski have been there. But I always think of like, you know, of course, you have to breathe, and you have to have water, you have to be able to go to the bathroom, you know, those types of things. I think what we, you know, we say, how can they, how can they survive or exist or, or do the work? I think that's the main thing is, is providing them everything that they need or everything that they need to do and not really the spacesuit be the focal point. I think if you're having to worry about the spacesuit, you know, you, the mission sort of gets compromised in a sense because you're having to worry about the suit. But definitely the main thing that you have to think about too is the sizing. Yes, they need to breathe. Yes, they need to drink. Yes, you know, um, but the sizing as well because you are fighting that pressure. And I don't know if you've ever been in a spacesuit. And Daniel, if you come to Houston, we can we can put you in one. But you know, it it, it it's it's hard to sort of move in there. So there's a lot of uh, fit checks that go on on the ground as much as we can 
to, to and, and size the, the gloves properly so that when they're in there, they're able to work. So it is a lot of, you know, how do you survive, but also how do you work? I mean, that's the reason why you're there. And if you can't do those things, then it does, it, it gets complicated, right? And then you can't really focus on the mission. Do you, um, is there now the technology to add the exoskeleton to a suit where moving forward, there's going to be this combination of assisted uh, power that can, that can facilitate some of the movement, but it's, it becomes integrated within the suit. I, you know, I want to say yes, and of course, I'll have to leave the answer to my my our, our fellow of the company, Dave Graziosi. I mean, like I said, he, he's been doing this for over 30 years. But yes, you know, I mean, we, we try to use everything that we can, you know, cutting edge. We see what's out there. And actually having commercial suits, we've been able to do that more. For a very long time, the products that we built were for NASA. So when NASA prescribes a spacesuit, you, you know, you have to build to their requirements. So we took all those years of experience and said, okay, what's the cutting edge technology that's out there to help us design better? And, and with our commercial approach and our investment that the company has made, we've been able to incorporate those things. And so we know, okay, here's what NASA wants. Here's what commercial industry sort of wants. And so we're able to bring those together and yes, use cutting edge technology that helps us um, design suits better. And now you've been, I mean, Alice Dilver been working with NASA for a long time, but now you get corporate more commercial uh, clients. That must be exciting to kind of have this field opening up and having a different stories and different needs. And because also from your perspective, this added um, clients also kind of elevates and makes the company evolve and discover things that they didn't think before. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that that's been, I would say, the greatest thing that come out of the commercial is that, you know, now customers come to you and say, OK, I, I just want to go out, and maybe just look at space a little bit or maybe I do need to do some maintenance on our commercial you know, station. But we're able to at that point give them a solution and not over engineer the solution, um, you know, because in, in the government's case, they want to make sure that two and three, four failures are covered, right? I mean, they want to bring their people home alive and we want them to come. But sometimes it's like, okay, we don't need like the four and fifth, you know, uh, accident, you know, we got it at one or two. So it, we are able to bring in all the experience that we have and actually give a solution that may even be more cost efficient to, to get the job done, right? So, you know, not giving you the Mercedes when all you need is the little pickup truck. <laughs> Some people, a lot of people just want that old beaded truck that comes that, yes. that gets them from point A to point B, right? Exactly. Are you allowed to share with us beyond NASA who you, who else you work out uh, you work with? Uh, not a lot, but I can definitely tell you products that we, you know, that we that that'll give you an idea, right? So I've mentioned our our Astro, our commercial EVA spacesuit, right? So for folks that are let's say have commercial space stations in low Earth orbit or in cislunar orbit. Um, or let's say we want to go to Mars. We have an EVA spacesuit, a commercial approach that will do that. Launch entry and abort suits. We launched those about a few years ago. Our, our, our commercial offering is Sol. Um, you know, so anybody who has a spacecraft, so I'll say that, who wants to go to space can use our spacesuits. And so I'll say we're talking to a couple of, of provide, you know, I would say, um, end users for that suit. And, and obviously, you, I think you know, what, well aware of what NASA is wanting to do with exploration space suits. So anything that is spacesuit related, whether it's extravehicular or launch entry and abort, we're going after that. And of course, today we, we are the manufacturer of NASA's current spacesuit that they've been using for over 40 years and definitely want to do upgrades on that. 
And the other thing we hadn't mentioned, but is very, very exciting too, is our space inflatable habitats. And, you know, when you talk about going to space, you know, not only do you want to have something that you can wear that protects you either in the spacecraft or if you're doing a spacewalk or you're outside um, a station, you want to have something that you can live and work in. And what's the nice thing about our inflatable habitat is that it's, it's very light. So and you can, you know, fold it up. And so you don't need a lot of space and it doesn't, it doesn't weigh a lot. And you can take it to, say, low Earth orbit or cislunar orbit or a planetary surface. You inflate that. And, it, and, and in one case, it can give you, say, three levels, like three floors of working space. Um, you know, some of them are like 27 by 27 feet. I mean, so it's just that is very exciting. I've been in one of them that we've per manufactured that's been pressurized and had a whole meeting in it. And I just felt like I was in a building. And if you can imagine those on, you know, four or five of those on a commercial space station, it just gives you a lot of room. And, and so, you know, really, we're building the products that are going to protect people and their and, and, and product, protect their lives and be able to let them live and work in space. So that that part's really exciting. And of course, um, we also build the uh, the landing airbags for Boeing Starliner vehicle. So that one I can talk about. We, we do that as well. And so, of course, they haven't docked to the space station, but we've, we've tested our airbags because they have done the land landing. And that's very exciting because you don't have your spacecraft dropping in the ocean. So you don't have to worry about all the muck and muck there. But our, our airbags have been successful. They've worked. And so, you know, that's another product. And I always say there's probably going to be other products that we don't even know about that we're going to find out about when we go into space. And I think having that inflatable option, the soft option makes is very appealing because it's, it's lightweight and it's cheap to launch to space. Now, one of the things that really gets me excited is that the human expeditions, exploration, there's always a risk involved, um, yes. but the human cost of exploration has gone down tremendously. I mean, if you compare back in the days of, you know, when Europe moved to North America, they would get into the boats. They would not really know if they would make it across. The conditions were really awful. They would get the land and then they would, there was a hard environment. They would have to start from scratch. But now we can send a lot of robots. We can experiment before we can do a panoply of, of, of really dangerous tests to make sure that by the time that we get over there, the risk is really reduced. I mean, right now we have helicopters on Mars and we have rovers and we're able, I mean, we haven't, I mean, knock on wood, we haven't had any major accidents when it comes to rockets. And even now as the commercial entities are going up, um, it's, it's refreshing to know that that next step we're not kind of just falling, not knowing where we're going to land and just like, well, cross fingers and everything is going to be all right. So these habitats, right. these, all these, even the spacesuit, um, kind of is like going, you know, I'm a solo wilderness explorer. It's going out and then not you, like you have your GPS. You don't have to worry too much. This is not your main focus. You can focus more on discovering, learning yes. as opposed to the essential. Now, Patty, you've been in the industry for a long time. You've been with Alice Dover for 17 years. Before that, you were uh, Lockheed, Marine Corps. You've seen a quite of a great transition of within the on the work market, the presence of women and their influence. And now 
we are in an era where a lot of leaders and you included are women. The next NASA astronaut to the moon is Artemis. Um, it must be quite exciting having your children and telling them of, of the accomplishment and the possibilities that are, that are offered now to, uh, to young women and women in general. Oh, I, and I do a lot of the speaking in, in the lower schools and high schools, you know, to, to really, I, the focus is always on the, on the young ladies, but I guess, you know, equal opportunity, I'll, I'll talk to the men as well. But I, a funny story, when I was at the, you know, I, I've always sort of been in this male dominated society, no matter where I've been, you know, I went to the Naval Academy, which again, you know, um, not a lot of women there. And then I selected the United States Marine Corps, not a lot of women there either. But when I was at the Naval Academy, we would always have parades on Fridays. And at lunchtime, we would we would do a parade and we would have lunchtime formation and we would march around. And I remember, you know, you're in this environment. So you just sort of think you're like kind of one of the guys. You really do because you're doing everything they're doing. And I was I remember I was marching with my platoon and I heard this little girl say, look, mom, it's a girl one. You know, and I, it just sort of was like, oh, my gosh, like these little girls are looking at you and saying, hey, there's a girl one. And I identify with that. And, you know, of course, women just as capable, just as intelligent. And I and I definitely think diversity and I try to do it here as well, whether it's racially or, you know, gender wise or whatever it is, because it really just makes you better. Right. So it doesn't mean you have to. A lot of people are like, well, I don't like this. But it doesn't. The liking doesn't matter. We're just working together as a team. And yes, it, it is. It is very exciting. And I do a lot of the speaking, like I said, to some of the math clubs that are like girls for math and to get their little, um, you know, thank you cards. Like now I know I could do it, too. And it's like, yes, you really can do it. And we want you to do it. And it just makes it more exciting for everyone. Right. And I think that's where we are, you know, as a world now that we know that we're just as capable, but it just, it does bring a lot of joy to be able to talk to the young ladies um, because they are, you know, they, the whole world is ahead of them. And, and, you know, I never had anyone when I was a young girl, you know, kind of telling me, Hey, you should be an engineer. You should, my father was in the Marine Corps. So of course he's, he ran the home kind of like the Marine Corps. And I think that's why I sort of got passionate about it. And I was athletic and I thought, I I can do that because I had planned to sort of enlist in the Marine Corps until my father came and told me, hey, I heard of this place where you can start at the bottom of the top instead of the bottom of the bottom as an officer. And I'm like, okay, I'll try that too. So I've always have been, and even in corporate America, I would say it's still male dominated and we're getting a new CHRO soon who's a female. And I was kind of like that little girl, hey, look, it's a girl one because I've been in this, you know, at least with the executive team for a pretty long time. And so now we have a second female on our, on our staff. So it's always exciting, I think, even if you're the young girl till we you're an adult, um, you know, because now I have to ch I have to race someone else to the female bathroom. <laughs> how how important Nicole was telling me about how you know obviously her father was a pilot, but her mom was extremely supportive. Her mom never stopped her from saying no, no, you can't do it. This is like she had to kind of hold on to her fears, and because obviously her, her husband had had an accident, and she saw her daughter going the same way. How important is the support for the family? I mean, for you, you really went into these places where you were a maverick, you know, you were breaking the, the mold. And yeah. I guess at the family, at, the, at, the, at your home, you had, did you have the support from, from your father and from your mother? 
Yeah, I mean, that that is where I'm like completely blessed. I mean, no one ever told me, like I said, I had never, no one ever told me you should be an engineer, you should go in the Marine Corps, you should do these things. But I never had anyone tell me I couldn't do it. And that was important. Now, my mother, you know, she was born in Mexico in Morelia, Michoacan. And when she was five years old, she came to the States with her mother. Um, so there was always adversity there, even even coming over to the United States. And my father, you know, he he was in the Marine Corps, then went into the road construction. And so that they have always been, yes, you can do it. And, and I don't know where they got that from. Maybe my mother got that from, you know, the hardships of coming from Mexico. And then, you know, and then she didn't finish her schooling at sixth grade. She, she got out and stayed at home. And my mom's always been a hard worker, the same for my father. So I definitely get the work ethic from them. But the support is, you know, that's invaluable. I think you have to have the support. Just tell the children, you can do it. Even if as little you see, okay, we're not doing well in math or we're not doing well in science. It doesn't matter. I'm like, just encourage them and then let them make that decision. You know, my kids, they're 16. I've told them from the day they were born, you're going to be an engineer. Now, are they both going to be engineers? That's what they say right now. But yeah. you know, at six, when they get to college, they may say, no, mom, now I want to go and do this or do that. But I've instilled a dream in them, right? And, and given them like, you can do it. And they're not both running the same race. You know, some some are, you know, ahead in school, maybe some are on the normal track. It is okay that everybody is on their track and doing what they need to do. But the support, it's just the encouragement. It doesn't hurt you just to be nice and encourage people. And I think, you know, whether they're children or adults, we always want to like leave people better than they, they were when, when we first met them, you know. I think it's, it's one of like, even it's not about what we know, but what we can do. And obviously for a lot of people, I mean, in, in the, the coaching that I've done, a lot of people get stuck on on the knowledge. Like, I don't know this, therefore I can do it. Yeah. But the reality is that we never know, but what we do have is the capacity to find the skills, the skills to figure it out. So the, often for me, like when I tell people, it's like, you can because you will figure it out. What you need yes. to know, you need to have the confidence within you that you are a resourceful person Yes. You have the capacity to find those answers. You have the capacity to get back up on your feet. And if you understand and if you believe in those things, then everything is possible because of those things. Um, and I think it's 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 more like the skill sets, giving people the skill sets to deal with the unexpected, the the the, the unknown, the because no one gets to start in life with all the answers what, exactly. what the human species has been good at is always figuring out how when once you hit that wall once you hit that ceiling we need to figure out how to move forward we have to go beyond you know and and fail and not discourage and i think that's that's one of the the societal failures that we've had over the last uh decade or 15 years is the narrative on the human species has been a really doom and gloom. We're a bad species. We're a cancer on the society. How could we do that? But the reality is that life is messy. Evolution is messy. Learning is messy. And everyone, the vast majority of the people in the past, always wakes up trying to do the right thing. But right. unfortunately, there's always unintended consequences. And the only difference between really an innovation and a mistake is the hindsight, but the road to it is the same. And 
until we do those mistakes and we're able to look back and go, okay, well, that was, that didn't work. And understanding that when it, when you need to, and on the innovation and technology, we understand the necessity for failure. We need to test things. So what works, what doesn't work, but that also is applied to your personal development yes. and a cultural and the society. We need to fail sometime to that forces us to reassess, well, this is where we want to go because we don't want to go over there. And I think that right. space is offering this new narrative of we can, we can use the mistakes that we did. Now we know their mistakes and we can change how their approach, we can make it more inclusive, more diverse, because we know it works better. Um, but it's all about the storytelling, right? Yes, I agree. You know, I, I think you're right. People are sort of scared to fail. And, you know, even in this position, probably people think, you know how to design spacesuits and you know how to, you know, build a spacecraft and build an inflatable. No, I don't. But I have the people that do, right? And, and I, yes, I have to talk about it and be prepared. And I prepare myself. And do I always hit the mark? No, but I'll take the criticism and then I'll go back and I'll make it better or make it right or say, okay, I should have studied here. But you're right. I mean, it's just... You can't be afraid to fail. And it's not always like mass failure. You know, it's just you got to get up and you got to give a speech or you got to give up. You got to present something or, 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 you know, you have to submit a report, but reach out to the people around you, you know, do a little bit of research on Google. It's I mean, I use Google all the time. It's, it's a good, you know, go and search. Um, but you're right. You have to be OK. You're not going to have all the answers. And, you know, if you don't like what we learned in the, in the Marine Corps was I'll find out, sir. Yep. You know, you can always go find out. Um, and so you're right. It, and I wish more people would take that leap of faith. I kind of heard, uh, I saw, I think I read something that 75% of the people who public speak are scared to public speak. Yep. 75%. And that's really a lot of my job. And, you know, I just try to be prepared. And once I get started and I feel comfortable, but some people don't even try because they're scared. It's like, but you could do it. And it's the same thing with, I always force my kids to do things. They're like, oh, mom, please. Like, you know, they, they're in this musical now. And it's like, I made them do it. But, you know, it's like, I, I want you to try different things. And you'll never know until you try it. And I don't want them to, to go out in the world and be adults and be scared to try something. Go try. It's always the yes. fear of the unknown that paralyzes people. And then once you... You, you see, you do it, and then you go, oh, yeah. well, that wasn't that bad. Oh, okay, I can do it. And then yeah. you get this little, like, power boost and self-esteem, yes. and then slowly and gradually you build that confidence. And yes. it's always also important not to become too arrogant. So, oh, my God, you know, then that is, I think, it's also the, like, life is not meant to be perfect and fair because it keeps us on our toes. If it was yeah. too easy to figure out the, the 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 equation that took care of everything, then we would you know become super arrogant and life would become really I don't think of the best of what we can do. But that uncertainty and that that risk you know of not having everything in control always makes us you know where the humility and the empathy comes from. Now. For anyone who's listening and wants to get into the spacesuit business or wants to learn more about Alice Dover, I guess they go on the website, the career, there's a lot of information. Alice Dover is not just space, this technology, right. there's a bunch of components to it. So what would you say to people that wants to learn more about your company and uh, your choice of career? 
Right, and so like you said, you can of course go to our, our website, ilcdover.com and look at careers. But you know, I think what you have to remember about space suits or space inflatables, I and mean, when we hire, we typically majority will take like green, you don't know anything, right out of college. And, and that's what I always tell at least my hiring managers because no one ed educates themselves or goes to school to be, you can go and maybe learn a little bit about spacesuits, but you're not coming out and graduating a spacesuit designer. You're only gonna learn that on the job, right? So it is the sort of, hey, I've never done spacesuits before and it's taken the risk that I'm a pretty smart person. I got my engineering degree, let me go out and try this. And so, you know, it's, it's if you have that engineering degree, look, apply, please. And we are actually, you know, about to put out like over a hundred positions out online as far as spacesuit designers and quality and sewers. And we've just got a lot of, uh, you know, positions out there because really we are going into space. So you look at the website, but, you know, don't hesitate to submit a resume for some of these positions simply because you aren't a spacesuit designer. We're not hiring spacesuit designers. We're going to make you a spacesuit designer. We're going to make you the best of the best. So, you know, I, there's so many opportunities out there. Again, ILC, but not just with ILC, with every other company that's out there, you know, doing business in space. It's a really exciting time for folks who, and then for me, you know, I got my degree in aerospace engineering with a specialty in astrospace. I mean, we designed and mocked up uh, satellites. I never really thought that I was going to get out of the Marine Corps. I had planned to do 20 years in the Marine Corps. And so I went on a deployment to the Middle East with a 15th Marine Expeditionary Unit back in 2000. And after that little cruise, I thought, yeah, I'm running home to mommy and daddy. And thank goodness I had my degree in aerospace because there was a couple of retired colonels here in the Houston area. So I had four job offers basically coming out of the Marine Corps, you know, with my degree in engineering and um, and, the, and the leadership experience I had with the Marine Corps. So it's just it's it's really it's a good industry. I like it. Anybody can get into this industry. Um, so it's just a very exciting time. You said it like the engineer aspect of it, but if someone is in the fashion school. That's the important no thing. Has nothing to do with engineering. Do they have a shot also at getting into the business? Yes. Okay. So we have, are about to open up 30 positions for sewers in, in our Frederica, Delaware location and our Houston, Texas location. And in our Houston area, we have hired um, fashion designers from the Fashion Institute, the Art Institute of Houston. Those are some of the, because really sewing, I think anybody, if they learn to sew, can sew, but it's sewing with a flair. So we have a lot of sewers who do the Comic-Con and, you know, different things and, um, you know, big into big photo shoots and getting those costumes ready. So you do want to have the flair, the finesse is what we call it. And so, yes, I mean, and it doesn't just have to be you know, sewing or fashion design. I mean, we have heat sealing and precision cutters and everything that goes into making the spacesuit. we have positions for. So right. really anybody can get started. <laughs> so anybody, I'm looking, you know, we're, yesterday with friends, we were talking about how um, our, when we imagine the future, fashion, there's a lack of um, uh, function in it. Like even, you know, if you look at Star Trek, you look at what they're wearing and it's like, yeah. there's no, who came up with this design? There's no function <laughs> to it. Like no one would come on those spandex, you know, <laughs> uniform. Right. But moving forward in space, there's going to be obviously a lot of function to the apparel, um, not just the space suit, but the, you know, the, the everyday, um, the everyday clothing that, that we have. So we need... We need this, like, again, this diversity of engineering 
and artists and people who think outside of the bubble so that the apparel evolves in this kind of combination of function and form and art and expression. Yes. Um, and that's going to be exciting, you know, as we move forward. It's like it's a total new era that's opening up. All opportunities and boundless yes. opportunities. Well, and everybody wants to look good, so we do consider aesthetics when we when we design our spacesuits, which it's it's nice to have. Absolutely. You know, the fashion designers and even those like Nicole Stott, like I told you with my pendant yeah. and with her space for art suits, which yeah. I saw on the on the video you did with her, the interview and and what she had in the back. It's it we, it's been an honor to work with Nicole and really taking these little swatches that the children have made and pulling those together. We do that here in Houston, Texas. It's just you know, of course, we're in the spacesuit business, but to be able to partner to do art and really inspire children and give them hope, that's just yeah. even greater than, you know, making a buck. It really is because that's the lasting part of what we're doing. And that's, I think, what if, if you're really, if your heart's in it and you're passionate about it, that's really at the end of the day, I think what we're all, you know, really striving for. We see the light in their eyes. There's nothing that beats it. So, yes, it's important. Patty, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to come um, and, exp and and share with us your story, the story of ILC and all the, 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 the knowledge and your experience that um, will, I'm sure people will find inspiring and people will say, hey, she's a, she's a, a president of space into a big company. <laughs> I can do it too. So There's a girl one. <laughs> There's a girl one doing it. Thank you so much. And I look forward to being in Houston and coming uh, and see the team. Um, this is going to be great. Yes. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate the time. All right. A big, a big hi to the team. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.